While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. Georgia was meant to be a place where someone who was down on their luck could come, receive a land allotment, and with a little effort and some silkworms, become a useful part of the British economy. If Georgia was producing silk, then Britain wouldn't have to send gold to China anymore. They could send money to Georgia for the silk, and of course, the people of Georgia would send them money right back for British goods. If it worked, slaves would be unnecessary. Unfortunately, though, by 1735, the silk industry had been abandoned, and the colonists were realizing that the current system wasn't allowing them to prosper. Labor was expensive because there weren't enough people to do all the work. Indentured servants tended to leave for South Carolina as soon as their terms of service were up, and others left to serve in the army. The people of Georgia wanted a system more like that of South Carolina. They wanted large farms, and they wanted slavery. This is Moving Through Georgia, and in part three of this series, we'll bring the Georgia colony from a utopian experiment to the 13th star on the flag, and we'll close out the life of James Oglethorpe. As we've mentioned before, the trustees had prohibited slavery, and they had a few reasons for this. They felt that large numbers of enslaved people could be turned against the colonists by the French or the Spanish. It isn't completely impossible that the Spanish could offer freedom to any who murdered their masters and came south. Regarding those Spanish, the colonists of Georgia were meant to be planters and soldiers working relatively close to each other so they could be gathered quickly to mount a defense against invasion. A small number of British on a large piece of land would be hard to muster in a hurry, and they might not be able to leave their homes and families and go to fight. Somebody had to stay back and watch the slaves. Also, consider this. A wealthy planter who could buy any quantity of land outright would eventually expand and drive smaller planters to go into debt to survive. Simply put, slavery could lead to the reestablishment of the debtor's prison. Some began to circumvent the laws. A Georgian could rent a slave from a South Carolinian for a term of, oh, a hundred years or so, paying in advance. The debate raged through the publication of pamphlets, and slowly public opinion turned away from the trustees and toward what they called simple fee land and slavery. In 1750, the trustees put it to a vote. Up until then, they had never put anything up to a vote and the people of Georgia overwhelmingly said yes. Slavery was permitted, colonists were allowed to own and inherit land outright, and two years later the trustees simply gave up their control of the colony. Georgia was now a royal colony. The population grew and the colony began to prosper. By the way, I'm not in any way saying that slavery was a good thing. I'm just talking about the history. But where in all this was James Oglethorpe? He was a good politician and possibly could have led Savannah through its difficulties, but he had chosen to focus on protecting the new colony from the Spanish. He felt that colonists were more productive when they weren't in constant fear of invasion, and he was right. 
When open war broke out between England and Spain, Oglethorpe's preparations kept the colony from being overrun and possibly destroyed. We'll get into that in the next episode. In 1743, seven years before the trustees would give up their plan for Georgia, he returned to England to stay. The first order of business was to address charges of misappropriating funds brought by a lieutenant colonel who had served under him. There was a court-martial and Oglethorpe was found not guilty. The colonel was dismissed for making false allegations. Oglethorpe also got married. Now, at the time, England was still under the control of Oliver Cromwell and the Protectorate. Oglethorpe was sent to Scotland in 1745. That was because Charles Stuart, who would eventually regain the throne and become Charles II, was moving into England. There was some confusion with orders. Oglethorpe was basically ordered to move against a Scottish force, which had already left the area. The English lost the battle, and Oglethorpe was blamed and court-martialed. He was acquitted, but he would never receive a command posting again, so he left the army and concentrated on his career in Parliament. He continued to make reforms in English society. This included a law allowing Jewish immigrants to become British citizens without renouncing their faith. He lost his seat after about 10 years in an election that was most likely rigged, but Oglethorpe retired quietly and spent time with his literary friends. Jump ahead to 1770 and things are stirring up in the colonies. Oglethorpe privately believed in the Americans' cause and tried to persuade Parliament to grant the colonists the same rights as British citizens. In fact, he believed that the troubles in the colony were the result of French interference. They thought it was an attempt to distract the British from growing French control of Europe. He viewed and wrote about the entire American Revolution by its effect on relations between England and France. To him, warmongers in Parliament used the revolution as an excuse to expand the military. Sending troops and material to America left England with a poor defense while the French were conspiring with the Germans to invade England. There is some mention in some histories that he refused a commission to fight the Americans in the colonies, but considering the state of his military career at the time, this is pretty unlikely. In 1776, James Oglethorpe was the oldest general, now retired, in England, and the colony he had founded was now part of an independent country. At one point, he even met with the new United States ambassador to Great Britain, John Adams. Oglethorpe expressed his admiration for the new nation and his regret for the necessity of armed rebellion. I need to add this detail in. As I said in the first episode, Oglethorpe's family was wealthy going all the way back to the Norman invasion of 1066. He and his wife lived in a house that was very large and very old. People would come from all around to see the house. His wife didn't like visitors, and she especially didn't like overnight visitors, so she helped propagate a rumor in the town that the place was haunted. It was her way of discouraging tourists and probably overnight visitors. Oglethorpe died soon after the American Revolution at the age of 88. 
Next week, I want to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, and that is, of course, the War of Jenkins' Ear. That, of course, is part of a larger conflict between the British and the Spanish, and does involve Oglethorpe actually leading an army in Georgia. And then we're going to return to some subjects that involve Northeast Georgia. We're going to talk about how Lake Burton was formed. We're going to talk about who Lake Winfield Scott was named after. Don't Google it, I want you to be surprised. The very first Northeast Georgia episode will be about Carl Walenda walking a tightrope over Tallulah Gorge, and it will answer the question, how did they get the wire across the gorge? If you want more people to hear the history of Northeast Georgia, then please consider leaving us five stars. It really does help the algorithm get the word out. Quite a few things in Georgia are named for James Oglethorpe. A monument in Savannah shows the general facing south with a drawn sword, ready to stand against the Spanish. Oglethorpe University has a motto. They say it came from Oglethorpe's family crest, which is Nesquit Cadera. It means he does not know how to give up. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. From an aid that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.